Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And welcome back to part two, Megan. I have been anxiously awaiting. For exactly two and a half minutes. Listen, you left me on a huge cliffhanger. I did. And and I've got to know what's going to happen. If you haven't listened to part one of this, go back and listen. Oh, this is all going to suck for you. You have to You have to go back. It will. Because my only recap that I'm going to tell you for those of you who maybe listened four days ago and, and whatnot, um, we have learned that Eldon Anson, the victim in this case, is not dead. Um, he had only been shot in the head six times with bullets not fully penetrating due to um, the gun being too old that was used. But then he took four strikes from a hatchet to the skull, one that went so deep that it had to be pried out by uh, the perpetrator, Jared Wall. Um, And at this point, God, that was start over. At (laughs) this point, he is left for dead in Mm -hmm. sub-zero weather in uh, northern Northern Indiana. Indiana. Yep. And his tenant found him, called the police, and it was the first uh, police officer on the scene that discovered he is not dead and calls for the ambulance. So the morning after this attack, uh, Jared Wall shows up for his very early morning shift at McDonald's. It's like a 4 a.m. shift, okay? His manager noted that he was his typical self. He was a model employee. As a matter of fact, later, he testifies for Jared Wall and says that he would take 100 employees like Jared. He probably was a great employee. He was. He was always on time. He was respectful to all of the guests, did his job. Um, Ironically, Jared took the order of two state troopers that morning. Who were investigating his crime. His crime. He was extremely nervous until he realized they couldn't possibly know that it was him and they would never suspect him. And he's not wrong. Um, Eric was not handling himself nearly as well as Jared. He knew. No, he didn't plan this. He did not. Yeah, if you didn't, if you remember from part one, Eric didn't have anything to do physically with murdering or harming or attacking, anything like that, Eldon Anson. Um, He witnessed it all and was scared shitless. Now, Eric knew what being an accomplice was. Okay, he had been in some juvenile trouble before. So he started to get very withdrawn. He was staying in his room, listening to music, and reading a lot to pass the time. That weekend, because this happened on a Friday night, that weekend was hell for him. He hid in his room the whole time. Now, Johnny V's thoughts all weekend. Remember Johnny Velasquez? They were Johnny F- V is a hardcore ghetto gangster rapper. Johnny I was v quoting Bloodhound Im- Gang, by the way. He is but- an imposer. Yeah. He is such a poser. But he's getting some joy out mm-hmm. of this that causes me much concern for him as a human. As it should. He was focused all weekend on how mad he was that he could not have been with his friends because he had to babysit his sisters. And he wishes that he could tell his buddy, Brandon, remember Brandon? Brandon L. Brando. Brandon Lissanikia. 
Yeah. He wanted to tell Brandon what they had been up to because maybe if Brandon knew what exciting things that they were up to and how badass they were, he'd be more interested in hanging out with them than that girlfriend of his that he was hanging out with all the time. Loose lips sink ships. And they do here. Going down like the Titanic (laughs) without Kate Winslet. I find this ironic though, Megan. Don't you find it weird that the only reason that Eric was there that night is because he was jealous that Johnny V had been hanging out with Jared and how all of this shit ends up coming out and I'll get to it, but Johnny V is so jealous that his friend Brandon is hanging out with his girlfriend that he wants more attention from him. This is, this is the lesson here, people. This is the lesson. Jared, uh, but we'll get back to the weekend right now. Okay. Did you have something you wanted to say? No, I'm just saying I can, you know, I heard, I hear this more with girls, with teenage girls, right? And we've, we've both been there where you're really good friends with somebody, but then they happen to have other friends too. And I was like that in school and I still am. I flit about from different friend Mm -hmm. groups to different friend groups and then somebody might get, you know, jealous that I'm not hanging out with them anymore or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't hear that as much with boys. No, but I think it's there. Why, why should we assume that girls are the only ones who do that? I think we're just more vocal about it. I agree. It does happen for boys you're, too. Well, you're pointing it out very clearly in this case in like one of the most morbid ways possible mm-hmm. that it could have manifested. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And for all of you teenage boys listening out there, let your friends have other friends and you make other friends yep, too. And it'll be okay. It will. So Jared went to church that Sunday. He taught Sunday school for the youngsters like he always did. Monday, Monday morning came and you're going to love this little tidbit. Am I? The county prosecutor, John Branham. Yeah. Remember, his twin girls were really good friends with Eric Esch. Eric needed a ride to school that morning, and the girl's car was in the shop, and usually it would be his wife to take the kids to school. The prosecutor drove him to school, didn't he? Yes, he did. The prosecutor picked Eric Esch up that morning with his two twin daughters, because they were all friends, and drove them to school. Uh, Eric was not well. I would imagine not. not acting himself. The prosecutor, John Brenham, had been working all weekend on this case because this literally is one of the worst attacks that he had faced as a county prosecutor. Yeah, and just so you guys know how this works, when something like this happens, especially in a small town, the police get a hold of the prosecutor immediately. I've been there. We are on call 24-7. There's no such thing as a break. This will piss you off. What? They're supposed to. They didn't? No. He oh. read about it on this in the Sunday paper. Nope. And he called the the sheriff's department and was like, why wasn't mm-hmm. I informed? I'm right there with you, John. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to happen. Yes. Because realistically, there should be a whole bunch of search warrants and things happening at this point in time that we're supposed to be authorizing. Right. Well, at this point, they've got nothing. They have no idea who the hell would do this to this man. Oh, I'm not they, liking how the investigation They literally started. have nothing for him which is why he wasn't contacted yet. But that's it still pissed him off. He's like, there, there is a whole strand of processes, right? I'm not like you were saying we have a God complex, but we want to know <laughs> when things happen mm-hmm. because there's a timeline in mm-hmm. our brains as to how the case starts as soon as the crime is committed, guys. Mm-hmm. And we just have to go work backwards to get the info. For sure. The girls in the car did notice that he was quieter than usual they asked him if he was okay he's like yep you know I just I haven't been feeling good this morning which wasn't a lie he hadn't been feeling good all week 
Now, of course, they want to talk to their dad about this attack, right? Oh, shit. And he's in the car. And he's in the car. But this is where he learns that Eldon Anson is in critical condition, but alive. So Eric tries to avoid, and in his mind, I mean, he's had a a, a record before, right? So for him, he's like, okay, it's not murder. It's not murder. It's attempted murder. Mm -hmm. Eric tries to avoid Jared and Johnny all day in school, but of course they cross paths. Eric lets Jared know that Eldon's still alive, and Jared's like, oh, I know, I read it in the newspaper. And then he says that he needs to get into that hospital room. He's going to fucking off him. And put something in his IV because... Eldon Anson knows who Jared Wall is and he cannot have him coming to and reporting who is responsible for this. But also he tells Johnny V that if Clay Carter says anything, I'm going to kill him because Clay Carter is really the one. He has nothing to do with this, truly. Other no, but than he was at church group, right? With Yes, uh, he was Jared. at church group with Jared and was telling Jared all about the rumors about, but he was making it sound like fact, like they knew this for a fact. And Clay's dad works as a dispatcher for the sheriff's department. So his word was taken as truth. And so Jared literally said to Clay Carter, something needs to be done about Eldon Anson. Now that was during Christmas break. So now Johnny V is like, listen, you know, or he tells, excuse me, Jared tells Johnny V now that something has happened to Eldon Anson. If Clay Carter says anything, I'm going to kill him too. I don't, Clay, I don't know that he did ever say, like, that he even recalled until later in the investigation yeah, that but Jared had even said that to him. Here's but. the thing about Clay, though. Um, something needs to be done about this pervert that I've heard about. Why and then does a that month- mean, but why does that mean Clay intended, did Clay intend for him to die? Or no. he's just like, they, they told the police and the police didn't do anything. Right. Clay did report to the police. I just yep. don't think Clay's super culpable here. No, he's not. And okay. he, he doesn't come up again. Good. I'm glad. Um, I only mentioned it just because that is what Eric Ash heard Johnny V and Jared talking about in school that day. And Eric recalled thinking, Boy, Johnny's not taking if this they seriously tra- enough. If they trace this back, it's going to get back, though, to this conversation, perhaps. No, what he is thinking is, oh, my God, is Jared going to cl- kill Clay Carter? Because I did just see yeah. him kill a man. Exactly. And Johnny V does not seem to be taking this seriously. Johnny was blowing that comment off, and it scared Eric because he's like, um, holy shit, he very well could kill Clay Carter. If well, he's he going could to try, kill, he obviously you know, didn't right. do a very good job the first time. But. Right. All right. So I had told you that they're about their plan. They were going to, he wanted to, this is something that is in court gets disputed. Jared claims that he never said he would put something in the IV. But I will tell you, Eric ends up never lying about things. So I believe when Eric said, Jared said this, that that was factual. He said it. That was what he intended. But it, it really didn't matter because... That Tuesday, four days after the attack, Eldon Anson succumbed to his injuries and he was gone. His ex-wife Phyllis hadn't left the hospital since she arrived and had heard of the attack and his daughters were there as well. Phyllis had called in a pastor that Monday after the attack and although while the pastor was praying over him, Eldon never moved. He never made any sort of sign that he was there with the exception of during the prayer, the pastor looked over and saw tears running down Eldon Anson's face into his bandages. 
So he was cognitively present of what was happening. Somewhere in there he Mm -hmm. knew what was happening or could hear and not react. Right. So now we have a murder case and the prosecutor gets the FBI involved because Eldon Anson's a world traveler. There are a lot of people outside of Huntington County that knows him and they're trying to figure out a good starting point of where to look at. And so their starting point was, let's find out who he's had contact with over the last few months at least. Well, he had just got back from like South Africa. He's a world traveler and potentially has connections. I mean, that's where the rumors started about him, the negative ones to begin with. Exactly. So that's where the prosecution kind of starts with this investigation is, is getting that help because they, the last place they were ever going to look, Megan, is the local high school. But the week after the murder, this is such a weird detail. Johnny V... Eric and Brandon Lissanikia were in a school talent show that the school put on each year. And I know we used to have those. We did. And, and, and I remember it's 1989. All right. And they did a rap. We did lip syncs. Yeah, we did too. Even pre Millie Vanilli. Mm-hmm. So they did a rap. They're going to rap like a, like a, a homemade rap. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was wrote by Johnny V. Of course it was. Now, this would later come up in trials because the lyrics of the entire rap song were from popular rap of the time. It was about guns, it was about murder, and it was about gangs. It was not well received from the adult audience. I can't imagine. And this is just some of the lyrics. So don't play with me. I slay and serve you on a tray, a different sucker every day. It's not even good. Boys, boys, boys. Yep, so those were just the type of lyrics that they had, okay? And they didn't really get a round of applause, especially not a week after a horrific murder in their town. And then three weeks after the murder, the group and some other friends that were not named went to Indianapolis for the girls' basketball team state championship game. Oh, Huntington girls' basketball was Mm -hmm. good. It was good in 89. And they decide they were going to do some crimes while they're down there in the big city. But first... Well, once you commit a murder, you might as well move on to petty theft. keep going on. Well, first, they break into a police officer uh, in Huntington, just outside of the city of Huntington, uh, Larry Kingray's home, and stole his 9mm automatic pistol. They knew it was a cop's home? They did not know it was a cop's home. Oh, yeah. They were only there... because that would have been stupid to plan. Right. Well, they were only there because they had heard from a friend in school that that particular house might have guns in it. Yeah, because it's a cop. Because it... Right. (laughs) Your friends suck man (laughs) it worked out so well the first time oh i hear this person has guns let's break in and steal one yeah well i'll advertise (sighs) that fact too yeah no kidding there's guns good luck good luck (laughs) yeah (laughs) come and get them if you want now i want to throw this out there though eric did go to indianapolis but he was not a part of any of the goings on because he was only hitching a ride down there to go stay the weekend with, with his, his girlfriend, girlfriend. Kelly. Because Indianapolis okay. is where he is from, guys. So he did not go with the intention to break in or commit crimes. Nope. He was going to see Kelly. He was going but to see Kelly. Unfortunately, they stopped this on the way, so he was there. They the they had gotten the gun even before the state championship ride. Okay, okay, but he was aware that there was a gun. In the car. He didn't go with them, though. No. To steal the gun. Nope. Nope. He just knew it was in the car. Correct. Now, Jared 
Johnny V, they were involved in stealing the gun from the police officer's home. They didn't realize it was a police officer. <laughs> and then the fucking morons get onto the Indianapolis State Capitol lawn and just start shooting this gun at random passerbys. <gasps> no. Yeah. Yeah. Not oh. a not a fan. Now you're a straight dick. So, which not that Jared wasn't a dick before when he murdered somebody, what but now wrong? Johnny V is too. Yeah. Well, he was before in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, Jared also attempted to buy, it came out in two different ways. He either did buy cocaine while in Indianapolis or he tried to. The court records were conflicting. I'm not sure if he actually got the cocaine. It doesn't but he surprise tried. me that this was something they were attempting to do with all of the other fantastic choices that they've made so far. Yep. So this is what they did. They then they did tell Eric about it, about what they had been up to when they picked him up from his girlfriend's house. All right. And this remember, this was three weeks after the murder. And don't get in the car with them. So well, he had to get home. His dad's not going to come pick him up. Well, I wish I could smack him about, you know, however many days ago when he ran and he should have ran right to the police when this didn't happen. And I know I'm sure we'll get into this, but Mm -hmm. just we will. Oh, to have wished that Eric would have done things a little bit differently. differently. Mm hmm. Since he seems to be the least culpable. Correct. And you can keep holding on to that. because I'm, kinda, I'm, hold, I'm holding it Because right he really is. In this kangaroo sack the, that I've been, I'm holding it to my heart. You are. We did forget to shake it at the beginning. I've been, I've been handling them there throughout most of the. You, you have been gripping the sack all, all episode. Here we go. One month. We are now one month after the murders. And Brandon Lisanikia calls up Johnny Velasquez because he wanted to copy some of his homework that he'd missed. <laughs> Not because Johnny was a good student, but because he knew they were, they used to be best friends and he'd been spending a lot of time with his girlfriend. Girlfriend's name is Tabby. So here Brandon is like, hey dude, we haven't hung out in a while, you know. Well, Johnny is like, you know what, I'm a little put off by the fact that you never want to hang out with me. You're always with Tabby. And I'm going to tell you why. You've been missing out on some exciting shit. <sighs> so Johnny V tells Brandon Lisanikia all about, he spills the entire tea. But instead of Eric, he inserts himself, Megan. He said he was going to. He, he wants the glory. And he does. He says that it was him and Jared Wall that killed Eldon Anson. He is trying to impress his friend by implicating himself in a murder. Brandon specifically asks if Eric was involved and Johnny V says, nope, just Jared and me. Brandon's beside himself. He is 17 year old, 17 years old, doesn't know what to do. So appropriately, he goes right to his parents. Good boy. And he tells his parents what had happened. His mother and father take him right to the police station. Which is exactly what I would do. Uh Uh-huh. So that he can give his statement. But remember, his statement is from exactly what Johnny V told him. So the statement that Brandon Lissanikia gives the police is that Jared Wall and Johnny Velasquez murdered Eldon Anson. Well, that's what that's what Johnny wanted. Can you see this all playing out in just this perfect, ridiculous storm? I can. We're watching it happen. The police believe Brandon's story because there is details mentioned when they originally, when they first processed the scene, they did not know that Eldon Anson had been shot because the bullet wounds were so superficial. 
that the marks from the axe were really much more pronounced. They were prominent in the thing that had caused the most obvious injury. Yes. And so it was not until the autopsy results came back. That they found gunshot wounds. That they knew he'd been shot. And guess what Brandon Lissanikia tells them? That Jared had shot Eldon Anson six times. And the only people that knew that information are the people who had seen the autopsy report. So at that point in time, it is only the police and the prosecutor. So they know this dude, this kid knows something. What he's saying is true because that stuff's not been public record. Hasn't been anywhere. So the police take his statements, realize the story fits the crime scene. Prosecutor John Branham also interviews Brandon. He is shocked because he is like, holy shit, this is, this is essentially like the homecoming king. Okay. Yeah. And the town is, is going to be wrecked by this. So he did order. I thought this was very nice of him. Um, Brandon's mom was scared that it was going to be made knowledge very soon of who's involved. Sure. So because she was scared, John had a police cruiser sit on their street and watch, watch Brandon's house. He also ordered counselors to be available at the high school because he knew when this, this this was was going to wreck the high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So warrants are made for the arrest of Jared Wall and Johnny Velasquez. The police go to pick John Velasquez up first. Now, John is not worried because, yes, he knew that he had told Brandon that he had helped kill Eldon, but he wasn't the one to pull the trigger or chop him up. So, hell, and he knows he's not really, he wasn't even there. So he's not worried about being questioned at all. And this kid got good grades. Yeah. Well, he was, I mean, he, not as good as Eric. There's some logic and common sense missing here. You may not know all of the compiled laws of your state, but come on. No, no, he's, he's not the student that Jared and Eric are. Okay. There are some, some cognitive differences here, shall we say. But he isn't diagnosed with anything. So he's taken to the station with his police and, and the search warrant was being served on his home while they question him. So Johnny V tells the police that a week. (gasps) Mom's jacket. Oh yeah, his the jacket's been to think gone. What all's there? Oh, they yeah. they disposed of the jacket. They did. Oh, okay, I they didn't did. know if maybe it was at the house. No, Just search it was piqued my curiosity. It was. It was. Um, we'll get to that, but it yeah, the jacket was thrown away in the dumpster. They do retrieve That's right, it. and the hatchet was in the river. And yes, okay, yep, they do retrieve those items. But Johnny V tells the police that a week before the murder, he heard this is his first statement. He tells them that a week before the murder, he heard Jared Wall and Eric Esch devising a plan to break into Eldon Anson's home and steal guns. And if he was home, they were just going to drop him right there. You little dick. For sure. Remember, the only reason, if you remember this from episode one, the only reason that Eric Esch was involved in in this is because Johnny V told him I can't go. I was supposed to go with Jared tonight to steal guns. Yep. To steal guns from Eldon Anson's home. I can't go. Go in my place. You're my proxy. Mm -hmm. It was never, ever the plan to murder him. Not Eric's. No. Eric was never told that that was a part of the plan. And he certainly was never devising this plan with Jared Wall. They weren't friends. Correct. Johnny V is the link. Johnny V is the link between Jared and Eric Ash. Yes. So now Johnny V is clearly not the badass that he was acting to be to Brandon. And he also thinks he can lie to the police and tell them that, you know, he had heard them plotting this murder. 
But then Johnny also told the police that this talk did not bother him because he thought that they were just talking. All all kids talk about going out and offing someone because the police were like, I'm sorry, you overheard this conversation and it didn't bother you. And he's like, oh, yeah, everyone talks like that. No, no everyone does not talk like that. So lie number one, like they already know he's lying. Johnny Velasquez tells the police that Friday night, Eric and Jared left his house for about an hour and then came back. And when he asked them what they'd been up to, Eric told them nothing, don't worry about it. And it wasn't until the following Monday at school that he had learned what happened. Lies. Mm-hmm. He said that Jared had asked him to get a clipping from the newspaper about the Eldon Anson attack. And so he said he did. You know, Johnny V's like, so I did. And after school, when I gave it to him, that's when he told me what they had done. Also a lie. Jared told them that he didn't uh, get any guns because there weren't any guns in the house. That tracked. Yeah, because Eldon Anson was innocent. Yeah, that part was true. So this and who is, cares if he had a gun in his house anyway? Right. This uh, is conservative like, America, for Christ's sakes, who didn't have a gun in their house. It's shocking that he didn't. That's actually what I was thinking, too. I can't believe that he didn't even have one. A shotgun. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Especially living in the country. Yeah. Like... You never know when you're going to have to and shoot I, an animal well, off your porch because, say, right. <laughs> it's not about the people. I was thinking the wildlife, exactly. right? Exactly. So this is his first statement to the police. They knew that some of the things tracked, but they also knew that there was a lot of lying going on to shape his own narrative. So they know now, though, that they need to pick up Eric Ash too. They say, you know, Johnny, why did you hold on to this information for so long? And he I'm said- I'm a shitty person. <laughs> right. He, well, he's like, you know, Eric was in a lot of trouble before, so I was trying to keep him out of trouble, and I just tried not to think about it. They're like brothers. I tried to pray for them, too. Gag me. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, that was not no, planned. No, it wasn't. That was really funny. You made the exact gag noise that I was feeling. <laughs> keep in mind, so Johnny V's mom is a part of this uh interrogation this questioning his dad was away at work but was on his way and so she's listening to all of this they know that they have him lying where there it starts to unravel is that johnny v this is how they know he's lying they start questioning him about the indianapolis trip now remember he is very culpable and in in trouble for the uh indianapolis trip where he gets his facts confused is that he says yes that Eldon Anson was shot, but he's trying to claim that Eldon Anson was shot with the nine millimeter pistol that was stolen three weeks later from the p- police officer. Because Did he just Johnny get his v, facts confused? No, Johnny V does not know still to this day. Th- at this point in time, Johnny doesn't know it's a police officer's gun that they stole. So he doesn't know it's been reported missing. So they know (laughs) that it's a nine millimeter, that it happened three weeks later, and that this gun that was used on Eldon Anson was a 22 caliber pistol. Okay, so there this is where the unraveling happens. And the investigators are just sick and tired of his lying. And they get to a point where they're like, listen. We already have the information from a third party that's close to you. We know you're lying. You're putting your parents through hell. Just tell us the freaking truth. Yeah. He doesn't know how. No, he doesn't. And so at this point, his dad does, they give him a break. There's like a two hour long break um, where at that point in time, they go and pick up Eric Ash and we will get to when they pick up Eric Ash and they come back into the room. Now Johnny's dad is there. 
his mom is kind of like, you know, we think that he's close to telling the truth here of what's going on. They're a little, they're shocked, you know, that their son is involved in this. He, his dad's an accountant. His mom works for the school. Okay. So yeah, other than this his is- own self-created rep, he <laughs> really hasn't done anything wrong in his life. No, so far. other than the Indianapolis, he was a part of stealing that gun three yeah, weeks but later. And after. Shooting I it. mean, in mm-hmm. terms of, her, I no. mean, this is, that's all post homicide here, uh, yep. which again, I believe he's incredibly involved in whether he was there or not. But mm-hmm. before that, again, he's created his own reputation, but he hasn't done anything wrong. He's kind of a fucking, he's a poser. He is a poser. Just a complete he's phony. He's a poser. Yeah. So he does at this point in time crack and he admits that he told Brandon Lysanikia that he was involved in the murder, but he wasn't there. He had, um, Oh shit, I'm in trouble. I better get myself out of it. Yep. 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 He then admits and tells them about stealing the nine millimeter, um, and going to Indianapolis, firing at cars from the state Capitol lawn about the cocaine, all of this stuff. Um, then he says that he doesn't have the gumption to kill someone, beat someone up. Sure. I'm sorry, but this You've man never has never beaten, beaten somebody up, <laughs> but he wanted Brandon to think that he did. Then he says, we're a religious family. You know, we believe in God. Okay. Well, I know lots that of people that mean, believe in God that do shitty things. For sure. Like that means nothing. He then tried to claim that he had the nine, <laughs> getting himself in more trouble. He said, yeah, I did have the nine millimeter pistol for a while, but then I took it to school and gave it to a friend. So you brought a gun to school. Cool. We're going to add that to the oh charges. My God. It's the 80s, though. Oh, no, they still there was still a part of that. Yeah, OK, they they got him for that, too. <laughs> so then the police this are like, kid. they're like, oh, you weren't. So you weren't there. Didn't you tell Brandon that you and Jared had so much blood on your clothes that you had to dump them off? And then we found your mother's jacket. Oh, fuck in me. The That's funny. And they but they know at this point in time, they've interviewed Eric Ash. And Eric's so they honest. know that John, Eric is honest from the get go. So they know Johnny V what type of kid that he just tried to make himself sound like such a badass. So they're going to put him in this interrogation through the, you want to be a badass? I'm going to take you through what yeah, the evidence Charnel, is They're saying. also showing that he, I mean, he was involved in the planning. I'm going to mm-hmm. say it again. Mm-hmm. And oh, again, was. to me, I'm, I'm sorry, but just this is how my brain is working. He's more culpable than Eric. He is. Yep. Don't worry. It goes there. Okay. So then Johnny V is like, you know, this is what I know from Eric telling me they had the bloody clothes. They dumped it in the dumpster, that jacket in the dumpster, and then the hatchet was thrown in the Wabash River. They leave him alone for a little while longer, come back in. His parents are beside themselves, and his mom's like, it's nearing midnight now, by the way. And his mom is like, I, I think he has told you, the, you know, the truth now were there. And as his parents drove home for the night, he was led away to a cell. So at this point in time, it's about 1215 can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. Are they 17 or 18? They're 17. Okay. They are tried and, as adults. Well, of course. Right. So they're just, all 17. So at 17 in that state, I believe they'd still technically be considered juveniles until mm-hmm. the age of 18. In Michigan, by the way, it was 17 until very recently. We just had changed the age here occur. But certain crimes are what they consider an automatic waiver case. And an automatic waiver case, you don't actually even have to make a motion to the judge to have somebody tried as an adult. They can automatically be charged period um i think as young as 13 or 14 sometimes 16 depending on what state you're in 
Other types of charges less than murder may require um, a, a waiver hearing to be held mm. so that the prosecutor can actually charge them as an adult. Mm-hmm. But it makes perfect sense that they would be charged as an adult. And I would assume from what I'm hearing that these are automatic waiver cases. Yeah. Yeah. There was no waiver hearings. No issues at nope. all. Okay. Nope. So meanwhile, it's about 1215 at this point in time and the officers go and knock on the home of Jared Wall. They wake his family up. These officers know this family. This is a upstanding family in the community. Mom works for the school. And they are. No, this is Jared's family. I did not make note of what they oh, do. They're just very well respected. Oh, I was thinking of Johnny, Johnny B. B. His mom worked for the school. Dad yep. was an accountant. These yeah. are just the very, you will this, win. You are athletes. This Jared's dad is a middle school teacher. Yeah, that's right. And coach. Okay. But I don't know what his mom did. Okay. Um, and if I did learn that information from the book, I have since lost it in my brain. I'll speculate but that she was a stay-at-home mom in 1988. She may very well making have been. Making pot roast mm-hmm. and being the like sweetest mom ever from the kitchen telling him that she made him his favorite meal. Correct. That is, a, that's how. I'm going to enjoy my assumption. There's nothing wrong with being a housewife if that's what you choose no. to do. Yeah. And so there, there they are. Um, the police officers, this is hard for the police officers. You know, they're apologizing to them, not only for the late hour, but it did take all day to get the warrants. The other thing is they didn't want to make a spectacle in the town about this. They didn't want to arrest these boys in school. There's already enough rumors going around. They did not want to convolute the court case even more by showing up guns a blazing. They didn't even have their lights on. I think that's um, smart anyway, just because I, you create a safety risk when you have an arrest like this yes. and to have done it at the school would have just put many children mm-hmm. at risk, but better mm-hmm. to do it in their own homes. I commend them for I'm that I'm just going to say the way that Huntington, both the judge, the prosecutor and the police officers handled this was extremely forward in thought for their time. It was extremely sensitive with not just their own agenda at the forefront of their mind or just things like, well, it's the law so we can do it. Um, They took everything into consideration. Honestly, they came at it from a very social work atmosphere, I feel like. By and for 1989, it, that's a yeah. big thing because judges yeah. haven't even become social workery to use no. the quotes around that until the past like 10 years. Yes, five to exactly. 10 years. So it was, I was very happy with how gingerly they handled the humans in this case. Um, and that's part of the reason why it's 1215. It did take a while to get the warrants anyway, but they went silently in the night out of respect for Jared Wall's family, not for respect of Jared Wall. They know what be. he's done. You guys, I'm going to throw a term out here that if anybody wants to re- look up, they can. But there's such a thing called trauma-informed prosecution and trauma-informed judicial decisions. Mm-hmm. And these are where you're making decisions. You're still transparent. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I uphold the Constitution. I swore to do that. I'm going to be transparent in making decisions. But you can make decisions that are the best for the public and that provide the minimum amount of risk to all the parties involved mm-hmm. while keeping things fair and respecting their rights. This town is kind of before their time. And I'm mm-hmm. going to attribute this to the fact that they're very small. Yeah. Like we are. And everyone and they, knew these people. They accidentally did the right thing yes. in handling this just because they cared about their community. Right. That's what happened. Yes, absolutely. And and so I wanted to point Sorry, all I'm of that. You. That's okay. I wanted to point all that out now because, I mean, obviously Jared Wall's family is very confused. Jared's not confused at all. 
he knows exactly why he's being arrested. Jared, um, who recently wanted to die, by the way. Like he's yeah. got nothing to lose yep. kind of Yes, yep. Mentality. This is a year and two months after his first suicide attempt. Yep. He goes very quietly. He didn't know that Johnny V had told Brandon Lissanikia anything. Okay, but he just figured somehow it got out. So here I am. They put him in handcuffs in his living room. He goes to the police station. His parents follow behind and they're in the room with him when the police are basically, Megan, at this point in time, They've talked to Eric Ash. Eric Ash was honest from the get-go. Eric Ash was very accountable for his actions, very remorseful from the get-go. And basically the police, it's not an interrogation. It's so much of, here's what we know. You want to tell us anything different? Jared does not give a statement at all. He says nothing. He doesn't doesn't have to. mm -mm. He doesn't really even seem remorseful. And his parents' expression are very stony-faced and really say nothing too. And then this was just noted after they take Jared to a cell and his parents go back home. I can't remember why, but a police officer had to come about an hour after they left the station. So it's like two in the morning. And I I think they had to get something, some information, something, but they were very apologetic and like, I'm so sorry that we're disturbing you again, but they had made note. Jared Wall's parents went home and went to right to sleep. Their son was arrested on murder charges. And they go home and go right to bed because you don't talk about what's going on. I don't in think this they family. Talk. No, I, I see that. Mm-hmm. And you, you but pointed the police that out officers, earlier. Yeah, the police officers noticed and were shocked. Like, I can't believe we're waking these people up again after what we've told them and the evidence I mean the police weren't making a spectacle they let him know the evidence that he had against him Jared's dad the only thing that he did say at the end of the interview with the police was you know Eric and Johnny V they're not reliable sources of information they've been in trouble before oh Johnny V actually had never been in trouble before he just had a rather yes but Eric had for minor things, for circumstances of the economic, the family atmosphere where he was at. So Eric wasn't a troublemaker. Charnel, oh, pissed I'm, me off. Let me interject because I've been wanting to for a while on when it comes to Eric and his situation growing up. You ha- remember that my background, a lot of it, most of it spent with children, but not just children who were victims in like child abuse, neglect cases. When I was a juvenile court referee, I had the kids that were, I had the delinquency docket. Mm-hmm. Those are some of my favorite kids I have ever met. Mm -hmm. talk about honest kids that come in who take responsibility and culpability for either criminal thinking or because they've been just had the shittiest lives you can imagine and I am one who gets irritated when somebody says well just because you had a bad life doesn't mean you have to commit crimes no it doesn't mean you have to but there's some necessity involved with some of that for him for survival and then some of its impulsivity and acting out I have liked Eric since we started this case Mm -hmm. So many things could have had happened different, but but this kid's path, like it's like karma led him to this shitty spot mm-hmm. and he just got dealt a really bad hand. Mm-hmm. I like this kid. Mm-hmm. I think that in terms of humanity and decency, he's the, he's the best defendant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that everybody seems to feel that way as well from where you're going with this, but I just want to point it out. It pisses me off. Yeah. You can make motions in cases. And I've talked about this in prior podcasts, Based off of prior bad acts and criminality. Mm-hmm. But those are usually instances that involve dishonesty. Theft can be part of it, which was his issue. But has anybody ever alleged this kid has ever been less than honest, even when he's been committing crimes? Mm-mm. Yeah. No. 
I, I think that you would have a hard time portraying this kid as a liar in any yeah. way, shape, or form. Well, that's where it comes out. That that piece comes out later, and you we will get to it. Thank you. But that is what pissed me off about Jared's dad trying to say, oh, you know, Eric has been in trouble before. No, you don't know the circumstances of why Eric has been in, in trouble before. And that's where I was going with that statement before you made your wonderful tangent there. <laughs> because exactly. Like, yes, I know it looks bad. He was in a Jesuit reform school. Um, yeah, because he stole food for because he was alone for two years with his younger brother taking care of him and they needed to fucking eat. With a drug addict mom yep. who and with abuse in the home before yep. dad finally came home and took over. Yep. And exactly. moved into a better place. So and then we had the burglary from the two concert tickets that another friend was involved in. Again, impulsivity, right? Well, these are my juvenile delinquents. Yes. This is criminal thinking. And you guys, we can correct some criminal yeah. thinking, but you can't correct certain traumas, which it would be Jared, by the way, yes. that we find out about later. Yes. That's a whole different level of trauma that it he is. never had any assistance with. Eric being in a juvenile delinquent facility. That straightened him out. That's a good thing mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah, sure was. So the police are like, you know what? Regardless of whatever statement that that is made about these boys not being reliable sources. Sorry, man, we've got too much against Jared and he's not going home. And this is where Jared never did speak an inter- a word in that interview. The police officers did know how cool and, and uh, reserved his parents were. Like they always bring their kid into the police station to be charged with murder. They don't. Um, nope, but it was... It was a weird observation for them. They weren't expecting that. Shock and flat affect can throw most people off. But like you said, I this I don't I just don't think you're allowed to show emotion Mm-mm. in that home. Most definitely not. When the police knock on Eric Esch's door, he knew the jig was up and that his life was over. He <sighs> he was almost relieved. In the interrogation room, his father was there with detectives. He told the truth right from the beginning, the whole truth, all the pieces come together, and they discover the motive for the murder. Because something that no one else had been able to uh, pinpoint before besides Eric Ash were the words that Jared spoke while he was striking Eldon with the hatchet. And this is a huge trigger, trigger alert to vile and offensive language. These are not my words. These are not words that are in my vocabulary. So I apologize. But what Jared Wall was saying while he was striking Eldon with the hatchet was, quote, you are a fag and fags need to die. End quote. So now the police have their motive. The town Which hurts my heart because yep. he's homosexual himself and the person he loves the most in the entire world, his uncle, is also. And mm-hmm. ugh, my stomach yep. hurts. Sharno. I know. This is a twisty case. Um, so the town was besides himself. You know, beside, besides himself. The, the town was not. the best grammar <laughs> ever. Wow. Please leave it in. Woo. <laughs> The townsfolk were beside themselves. Yes, they were. The town was in an uproar, people. Because the popular and well-respected boy of this, boys of this town even. I mean, Eric was making his way into being well-respected as well. They're in jail for murder. The rumor mill gets busy. And I hate this, but sadly, one of the juiciest rumors that seemed to really take off, in my opinion, re-victimized the victim because the town started speculating that Jared Wall, Johnny Velasquez, and Eric Esch were all involved in Eldon Anson's, Anson's sexual prowess and running drugs for him. Oh, God. Almost like they were forced to be with him, and that's probably why they killed him. You guys... Anytime that you think to yourself something might be the truth or you make it up in your head, do me a favor. Keep it there. <laughs> Keep it there. Yeah. And attend the court hearing. 
You can go to the court. Yeah. yeah. Don't make shit up in your brain. No. And if you're making shit up in your brain, go talk to someone about it. Because you in have an private. issue. Right. No, I'm being serious. It's awful. I agree. Do you know how much shit I can make up about people based off the little pieces of information that I know over the years? Right. You're going to love God. what the judge does in response to this oh, in see, the case. I love me You're a, gonna love a good, decent judge. And we're going to get into the legal aspects right now. Thank you. So I've been get, waiting. Patiently. I know. Get prepared. I'm taking a drink. Now, not surprisingly, all the boys initially plead not guilty, as expected. You, okay. They should have. Yes. Yep, exactly. No good judge would have accepted a guilty plea at that point anyway. Um, yes. Immediately, they plead not guilty. Um, I currently have a, an acquaintance that is going through a hard time um, with a best friend whose child is a victim, and they didn't, they're so upset that the perpetrator pled not guilty currently. And I'm like, well, this... This it's all part oh, of the legal honey, proceedings. I'm sorry, yeah, that's mm-hmm. not. Please don't take that personal yep. at all, I, or on the legal system or the criminal justice no. system. There's a reason for yep. that and yep. a process. I hope it yep. works itself out. But there, I, it uh, will. Your listeners now should know after listening to this to enough that a not guilty plea should not offend you at no, the first right, at right. the first arraignment hearing. Yep. And, and that's exactly what they did. But Frank Kimbrell represented Jared Wall. Because even though he knew that there was mounting evidence against him, he believes that everybody has the right to a fair, you know, chance. We all do. do. Be fairly represented. Okay. It's the Constitution. And attorneys take an oath. Mm Mm-hmm. And defense attorneys exist, and they're not all bad people. Some of the best humans I know are Mm -hmm. defense attorneys. Well, and then I think Frank did a really good job, honestly, because he knew the mounting evidence against Jared. And yes, initially, they're going to plead not guilty. But then he starts talking to Jared and says, and he knows this town. And he says, honestly, I know the town wants justice. They they need emotional closure. They need facts. But do we need to put the town and the resources to having a trial? He knew that if he had Jared enter a guilty plea, that it's going to maybe look like a legal cover-up for scandal that was happening at Eldon Anson's house. But he wanted what was best for everyone involved not just his client, but he does, he does have, he asks the prosecution if they will accept a guilty plea. Okay. All three of the boys actually end up entering a guilty plea. So I just looked up, if you were watching me play with my phone, which is usually considered rude, I believe Indiana at that point in time had the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So they know that this is a capital case Mm -hmm. and there was no plea bargaining regarding that? No, no, it was never... The prosecution never brought it up. What's interesting to note, though, is that later on, John, the prosecutor, realizes he ends up meeting with each of these boys in prison. Okay, not something he would typically do, but we'll no, but you can. Yep, he'll and we'll get to why he did. But he realizes none of these boys at the time even realized that he could have asked for that. It didn't dawn on any of them that he could have went for capital punishment. Yeah, this is a... a yeah. And, and I think here's part of it, too. He, but he did not. Juries decide that. They do. At least there. Yep. So if they would have gone through 
a jury trial, then there also would have been a trial on the sentencing to mm-hmm. determine the punishment. Yep. But he knew Frank Kimbrell, Jared's attorney, knew that him entering a guilty plea with the evidence, you know, obviously he did this. It would still give the town the emotional closure because they're still going to call witnesses at both the plea hearing. Right. And then also at the sentencing hearing. Right. So the town is going to get their information and is going to get their closure. But you're right. This was the safest way so that we're not sentencing 17 year olds to death. The prosecutor also, I mean, the prosecutor lives in this town and was all for accepting this guilty plea. So the, let's get to the plea hearing for Jared Wall. It was in front of a packed courtroom. Judge McIntosh was clear with the rules of a guilty plea and all the rights that he was giving up, right? His right to a trial, um, including the appeal decision, all of that stuff. The judge makes sure that he understands that at the sentencing hearing, his maximum punishment in, the, in Indiana law at the time for murder is 40 years with 20 additional years for aggravated circumstances. So should the court decide those aggravated circumstances exist, Jared is facing 60 years in prison. Jared confirms that he understands. Also, his maximum fine was like $10,000 minimum fine court costs. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yep. We, we tax that shit on. Right, right, right. It's, it's allegedly to cover all of our costs. Yeah. Um, allegedly. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I lost what yep. I was going to say, but it'll come okay. back. Jared please, pleads guilty but mentally ill, which pleading guilty, but mentally ill does not negate the fact that he is guilty and admitting to the crime. Guilty, Mm -hmm. but I need to know as, so I'm as a judge, you guys, if I take this plea, I need to know the basis for the mentally ill part. So the mentally ill piece was put in place to be taken into account during the sentencing phase of this. Basically, Frank Kimbrell, Jared's attorney, is asking the judge to take this into consideration when sentencing and when considering how the sentence will be served and what resources should be provided while he is serving his time. So did the prosecutor accept that? The prosecutor did accept that. That's why it happened then. Because I would need more than that. He made it clear that he will accept that because of the fact that it is not taking away his accountability for his guilt. It is simply being accepted so that they can talk about what services he needs while incarcerated. Agreed. And just so that everybody knows... That does not mean insane or less than culpable. It means you have a mental illness. So you're still responsible. Mm -hmm. You are still criminally responsible and competent, by Mm -hmm. the way. Very important. Which they did do all of the psychological examinations to determine that, of course. Otherwise, your your, uh, uh, reverse of uh, guilty but mentally ill is not guilty by reason of insanity, which is not criminally competent and or... criminally responsible and they had all those tests done on him prior to entering the guilty plea okay okay his his lawyer did make sure that that was not a part of this before advising him to plead guilty yep now eric ash's first day in court happened i'll get to the sentencing hearings i'm going i'm just doing the pleading hearings first girl do you know i even have a supreme court case here on my phone waiting (laughs) until we get to the end of this so like i i can't wait yes so Eric Esch's first day in court happened four days after Jared's plea of, of guilty hearing. Okay. Eric's charges were for burglary and assisting a criminal because they had no evidence to suggest that he had murdered Eldon Anson at all. Or because hadn't. Because he hadn't. No yes. intent. And no intent. No motive. Correct. 
Judge McIntosh told Eric that with his guilty plea, he is looking at a class B felony for the burglary, which can come with a sentence of 10 years and an additional 10 years if the court finds aggravating circumstances with a minus four years for mitigating circumstances. Then the judge tells him that he's looking at a max of 20 years and a minimum of six years for the burglary charge. He also had his max fine of 10K or minimum fine of court costs. Then he is told that his assisting a criminal is a class C felony in Indiana, and it's normally five years, but could be as much as eight for aggravating circumstances or as little as two, depending on what the judge decides at the sentencing hearing. Do any of those say whether they're consecutive or concurrent sentences? He asked Eric if he understood what consecutive and what concurrent meant in his own words because they told him at the sentencing hearing, they can decide whether or not it will be consecutive or concurrently. And at this point in time, he said he would plan on those two sentences running concurrently. That means at the same time, Mm y'all. So he, what he's facing is a maximum of 20 years, Eric Esch. With everything included. With everything. Mm-hmm. And so he's taking him through that. Do you understand? This is what you are looking at. And he signs it that he does. So let's get to the sentencing here. Okay, I'm, okay? I'm waiting with bated breath. I know. Jared Wall and Johnny V sat together, chained to one another during Eric's sentencing. Well, and that's nice for Johnny because he was worried he wasn't <laughs> spending enough time with his friends. True. It was Brandon he wanted to spend more time with. Brandon's not in prison. Oh, shit. That's right. No, Brandon's a good guy. Right. He's the one that told everybody. So they're sitting there, and they're going to learn Eric's fate before they're going to learn their own. Witnesses were called during the sentencing hearing so that all the facts and information in the case can be made without the trial and that the judge can make a fair and appropriate sentence. Eric's attorney did call his aunt Charlene to the stand to discuss how his mother had abandoned him and his little brother, the circumstances of what his life was like, how he went to reform school, all of that stuff, guys, that I had told you in part one about Eric. This is where it comes out. Should. Mm -hmm. And it did. Lots of people testified on Eric's behalf. People wrote letters to the judge asking him to basically go easier on him for the sentence because he was a good kid. He took accountability for his actions. He never tried to lie his way out of this. And he testified for himself on the record as well with a lot of remorse. He said that he wanted Eldon Anson's family, who is in the courtroom, to know how sorry he was and how he hoped that they could forgive him one day. One of Eldon Anson's daughters spoke up and said, you are forgiven right there in the hearing. See, now you're making me choked up. Oh, yeah. That got, it's that hard part when got victims me. do that. And But again, it speaks as to his culpability. Mm-hmm. Well, I and, think that you can put yourself in his position, can't you? Yes. Would I have done something differently? Yes. I would have told afterwards right. or run away, but right. we don't know how fucking scared no. he was. We also don't have the trauma of what he went through as, <clears throat> yeah. as a child through his parents' divorce and living with a drug-addicted mother and abusive boyfriends that she brought home all the time. Yeah. and. You would just, I don't know, thankfully, what that's like. Do we know, so, the, do we know the daughters of the victims? Do we know their names? Um, I I don't. It was not in the book. So I mean, you, I, out of I respect, it, didn't put it in there. Yes, I read it. But when it's not published in books, I feel no, like I that is when they have asked to be excluded. So, yes, um, they did visit Eric Esch in jail. The His daughters, daughters visited did? him and got to know him. I yes. love, I don't, if you guys are out there still, I love you guys. 
Yeah. And I don't know that I'm as good of a person as either of you. They did not blame Eric for what happened to their father. And they made clear that the judge knew that. Yeah. I want to hug them both. So son of a bitch, Charmel. Look what you're doing to my eyeballs. made us cry a lot lately. Now, this is the part that you're going to love about what Judge McIntosh did. In terms of making sure that the town knew just exactly how wrong they had been about Eldon Anson. Because he takes this time when Eric is on the stand to put the rumors to rest. And he point blank asks Eric if he was involved with Eldon Anson prior to that night in any way. Oh, good, good, good. And Eric says, no. Was, you know, he says, was Eldon Anson dealing you drugs? No. Was he making sexual advances to you or to your friends from which you are aware prior to this? No. So he was letting the town know that Eldon Anson's name, Anson's name should be cleared. He is not guilty of there were no drugs found in his home, no weapons found in his home. No evidence of no trafficking evidence. or nope. criminal sexual conduct. Correct. So I was very happy that the judge made sure that that came out. He's the old man from Home Alone. The guy that lives next door to Kevin McAllister yeah. that everybody thinks like murdered Is a murderer. his family. Mm-hmm. That's so Because true. he's quiet and withdrawn and he travels a lot. Yep. Yep. Now, Judge McIntosh did point out that how long Eric had kept the murder a secret. Yeah. And that he knew burglaring was wrong and illegal. And, you know, they did go into his home after murdering him. Right? I mean, yes, they did have people testify to how terrified Eric was, why he went along with Jared going into the home and whatnot out of fear. They even had psychologists testify to these things as well. When it came time for the sentence, the judge made it clear that Eric had not attempted to stop the brutal murder while he was witnessing it. He ran away twice He to did. the car. That's, that's where I'm at. And I'm kind of like, I don't know that I'm stepping in with a madman with a hatchet either. I really don't, Megan. That's a bad situation to be in. I think if you're dealing with adults, that's a perfectly appropriate thing for a judge to consider. And I can, I guess, argue um, for who appears to be a very nice and competent judge that Mm -hmm. you should still take that into consideration. But I really wish you would have taken up also, since we know this kid doesn't lie, he's been very honest to begin with, that he's tried to leave twice Mm -hmm. to the point that he's so traumatized that he went back to the same car he knew he couldn't drive on two different occasions. forgot that he couldn't drive it. Yeah, yeah. It says something to me. Yep. He was, he also pointed out that he was involved in getting rid of the murder weapons. He was. Yep. And um, that he also, even though he wasn't involved in what had happened in Indianapolis, he knew about it and had kept that a secret. So to him, that was, I think that you're going to continue to offend if you're not put in prison. Okay, so can I just throw out there that a lot of juveniles who've been involved in the criminal justice system since they were young, like he has been, do have the whole snitches get stitches of mentality? Course. Of course. And while I think he that's is exactly where Eric's 100% at. 100% completely wrong for not reporting this. Mm-hmm. This is how this is how he grew up. So mm-hmm. doesn't justify it at all you guys, not at all, but he watched he's, Jared brutally murder a man you think that, that he hadn't seen before. Right. And do you think that he's not scared that he could do the same exact thing Just to threat- him? Just threatened to kill somebody, Clay. Yeah, if he ran his he sock. did. He threatened to to kill Clay. So the sentence that was handed down to Eric Esch was that he was sentenced to 20 years no. for burglary and eight years for assisting a criminal to run concurrently. So 20. So 20. And he sure he had he was uh, sentenced to serve 20 years in prison, and the court recommended a minimum security facility. Well, I agree with the 
the yeah. facility recommendation, but I don't like the sentence, Charnel. I know you don't. Just just sit here with me. Stay patient, my friend. Johnny V and Jared Wall knew that they if they were giving Eric the harshest sentence possible, they too would be given the max sentence. The town was stunned. Those that were in the court that day and heard the facts of the case did not agree that Eric should serve 20 years given the circumstances. But the judge is sending the small town a message. Okay. Jared's wall, Jared Wall's sentencing hearing was packed wall to wall in that courtroom. Just like, No pun intended. Right. Just like with Eric, there were many people who testified on Jared's behalf. His pastor even wrote a letter directly to the judge pleading for Jared and the judge's mercy for him because of what the Bible says. This pissed Jared's attorney off because apparently there was something to do with the timing of when it came in and admitting it. I don't know. The judge didn't happen, or I'm sorry, the shit. The the uh, the pastor didn't happen to be 10 years older than him, did he? <laughs> no, it's funny that you say that though because... Later, when Jared does finally disclose, um, that's when we learn that it did happen in the church, okay. that it was somebody who was, was, Sorry, was responsible Pastor, whoever for you are. Yeah. I didn't mean to make an implication. Um, Jared's attorney called Jared's father to the stand so that basically they could get it on record, the pressure of the family um, to succeed, that the, the family have everything that we've already talked about with Jared. That all came out in this, all right? Uh, Jared testified that he went to the home with a hatchet to break the gun case, but that it would really, the, and the judge gets him to admit, did you really need a hatchet to get into a gun case or would a crowbar have sufficed? And he's like, yeah, I mean, a crowbar probably could have done it. He's like, yeah, exactly. You armed yourself with a hatchet and with a gun. You had premeditation. You so, didn't have the weapons to break into the damn safe. No, no. You had the weapons, weapons to kill human. someone. Mm-hmm. Well, I've never heard of using a gun to open a gun safe. Nope. Now, I can see where if you line it up perfectly with the lock, this mechanically could work. But wouldn't you worry about some rebound there? I would think. I mean, I don't I, I don't think. shoot metal a lot. No, but there just, was zero reason for him to have this gun. I can't. The gun, by the way, was stolen from Jared's dad. It was Jared's dad's gun. I yeah. think th- if you didn't say that, I, I guess I speculated. Yeah, that yep. it, was. it was it was hidden in a drawer, and he found it. His dad did not know it was taken. I'm sure. He, yeah, until I, after the I believe that too. Mm-hmm. Judge McIntosh handed down the sentencing, outlining the premeditation that it took and that he planned to kill him all along. The judge also read a letter that Jared had written to his classmates. And this, the entire letter is in the book. It's compelling, and I do think you should read it. Um, Jared wrote a letter to his classmates? To his entire class. Not to the victim or the victim's family. Nope, to his class. And I apologize because, you know, the book is referenced in our show notes of course but it is called fear no evil by thomas henry jones i come on should i read it would i enjoy this it's a good it is a really it's a quick read it's a really quick read is it an airline is it like a good flight read you can download it yes yep um i listened to it on audio uh, or on audible excuse me all right so he reads this letter and it explained what he was going through in his personal life with his uncle and his family with his mental health and why he felt such hate when he was killing Eldon Anson. He encouraged all of his classmates to reach out and talk to people and not keep stuff um, hidden inside. He does not disclose the sexual abuse at this point in time. not reaching out and he's keeping things hidden inside. Yep, but... With his letter of warning. mm -hmm. Yes. So, and at this point in time, I mean, the judge doesn't even know about the sexual abuse, okay, when the sentence is being handed down. He's, uh, Judge McIntosh sentenced Jared Wall to 40 years with the aggravated circumstances 
adding 20. So he gets 60 years for murder. They're maxing every single one of these kids out. They they? sure do. That afternoon, Johnny V had his sentencing hearing. And of course, there were character witnesses that testified to uh, what a great guy he is. He even had a a breakdancing buddy testify about how he liked the movie Colors. And now, Your Honor, I shall break into an interpretive (laughs) breakdance. To why you should hand down the slightest sentence possible to my friend, my breakdancing friend. I wish in my soul I felt more remorse for Johnny V, but I don't. Oh, the judge didn't either. He didn't question a single person that was testifying on Johnny V's behalf. He did not question anything until Johnny V got to the stand and he asked them, asked him, his very first question is, where'd you get the lyrics for the rap song that you composed a week after this murder? Oh, judge. He says, I like you. I know. He says, um, I heard them in movies and on MTV and all the rap songs that I've been listening to. Those weren't any of my words. He admits to copying them, trying to claim that he didn't come up with any of that. It's that it's all copywritten material that he just, you know, plagiarized poser (laughs) right exactly poser so then the next question is why'd you take credit for the murder not once but twice because he tried to twice he tells the story of street cred mm -hmm. he tells the story of his friend brandon spending too much time with his girl and that maybe if he knew they were up to exciting things he'd want to spend more time with him dude brandon was up to exciting things too it's the v and the only trouble it gets you into is called parenthood and we are all there right it's not so bad oh no No. i mean unless you're raising johnny as your child yeah fuck so the judge came down hard on johnny v not only for bragging about killing eldon anson but also committing crimes three weeks after the murder and telling people that it that it was the gun stolen from you the deputy that did the killing so he also obstruction of justice by the way yeah he felt like he did not show any remorse for the for what had happened to eldon anson so he sentenced him sentenced johnny velasquez to 30 years in prison he got more than eric he should have Mm mm-hmm I 100% agree with that. And I was actually, if you saw the look on my face, I actually thought he should have got 40. (laughs) That's why. If we're keeping this proportional. He got 30. And we're going by 20s. If we're 20, 40, 60. Yep. He got got 30. I need to know what's happening now. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay. Eric's girlfriend, Kelly from Indianapolis, did visit him and she did write him and she did call him. They or accept calls from him. But, but event- she was a teenager and was going to move on. Eventually, they both, you know, it stops and she does move on. She is married with children, two children. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, sweetie. Eric was visited frequently by Mrs. Pike. Do you remember in episode one when I talked about- The quarterback's mom? Yes. The quarterback of the football team who he first friends when he moved to Huntington that summer. And he loved his parents. Mrs. Pike is a huge, huge advocate for Eric. And this woman is a saint. And she put money on his commissary. This pissed his father off. You know him, Eric and his father never really got along anyway. Can I, what year were the trials? Uh, the same 80, 89 89 okay i yep, just i was the sentencing that's was amazing in 90. the benefit of living in a small town things yeah. usually happen within a year mm-hmm. yep yeah they got sentenced in 1990 but his father is is all dick bent over the fact that mrs pike is putting money on the commissary because his father's not doing it his mom's certainly not doing it do you um, want me to tell everybody what commissary is sure <laughs> because you might have people here who have not been to jail well, 
oh, right. Yeah. I mean, myself included, but I right. just happen to know You work in is. the biz. I do. I do. So commissary in a jail setting is where you or somebody else can put money on your account. So you can actually buy things like candy, cookies. You can even buy things like t-shirts, underwear. So your, right? your basic, yeah, your shampoo, your conditioner, things like that, that you're, you're going to spend money on. If you have no one to put any money on for commissary, you're left to whatever you, the government, the taxpayers are willing to provide to provide for the very minimal level of your basic needs. Mm-hmm. And people often use this to trick. You used to be able, uh, uh, up when smoking was still allowed in prisons, which has stopped now every state that I'm aware of. But you'd buy cigs, right? Yeah. And cigs were money. Yeah. They were a commodity. Oh, big time. Yeah. So, but yep. that's what commissary is, just so y'all know. Yep. So he, th- this story just absolutely broke my heart. He needed new shoes. Really, really bad. Okay. His shoes are worn out. His toe is sticking out. Mrs. Pike is seeing that. He's like, you know, if you buy me a new pair of shoes, my dad's going to be all ticked off. So Mrs. Pike calls his dad and is like, hey, I was going to get Eric new shoes for Christmas. You know, would you want to help me? Could it be from both of us? He's like, yeah, whatever. So she sends um, Mr. Esch money to buy Eric new shoes. And wouldn't you know he it, didn't the use new it shoes never shoes. come. Weird. So that next, that fe- that was for Christmas, that next February, she just goes and buys him shoes. All right. Well, then the next month, his dad shows up with new shoes and is like, well, what the fuck? You already got new shoes. And Eric's like, listen, I know what you did. You took Mrs. Pike's money and you didn't buy me shoes. So she bought me shoes. Like I legitimately needed them. My, my soles were wore out. My, my toes, toes were coming sticking through out. the end. And so this pisses his dad off really, really, really bad. And um, he stops accepting his collect calls. He changes his Over number. Over fucking shoes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Changes his number. I'm sorry. Doesn't have contact with him. Mm-hmm. My kids could do a lot of things. And I hope that ending up in prison isn't one of them. Agreed. But I too feel the same way. But uh could you see it's yourself no matter no. what they did, could you see yourself not talking to them again? I mean, I no. would I would apologize my entire life to the victims. Yep. But if my children did something like this, but I could never just abandon my children no, either. That's where the unconditional love piece is supposed to come in. Well, Megan. he didn't have any to begin with. No. I still wish I could have adopted this kid in nineteen eighty nine when oh, I no. was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> right right never i was mind. five never okay. mind he was older than me right but. still is just so you know he's still older than well you. <laughs> yes i'm no well um significantly because i stopped counting at 35 oh, right, so i'm right. actually quite young for my age uh, just so you know too um the twins yeah the prosecutor's daughters, daughters. They continue to visit Eric and remain friends with him. No shit. Mm-hmm. Now, the prosecutor you indicated goes to visits all of yep. them in prison as well. We're getting to it. Just a second. <gasps> yes. Thank you. So prison, the prison, for whatever reason, puts him and Johnny V in the same cell, even though both of their orders say that they're not allowed to have contact with each other. <laughs> Eric tried to tell them this and no one wanted to listen. So he's like, whatever. No. Indiana Department of Corrections is like, we don't have fucking time for this. Johnny V finally gets his wish and he joins a prison gang. Good job, Johnny. I'm so proud of you. But because he's rooming with Eric, he then like starts this rumor about Eric. Um, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but it's something like Eric was the one that killed the guy and got him put in there, like narked on him. Eric, yeah, Johnny V. When Remember, this was Johnny V of why they're here because he told Brandon and Brandon was a good kid and told Why? Mm-hmm. 
So Eric gets the shit beat out of him, but Eric refuses to join either one of the gangs. Johnny did that because he wanted them to beat the shit out of him so that then Eric would have to join with Johnny's gang. Eric, Johnny wanted Eric in his gang. And so he thought if he could get them to beat the shit out of him, that he would think he needs protection. Yeah. And he joined Johnny's gang. Well, he wasn't going to do it. He stayed as far away as he could. My he God, finished, he's, still, he's still a good kid who does dumb shit. He finished high school in prison. Good. Okay. He is reading all the time. He is smart. And he is eventually moved to a different facility. Thank God. Now, John Brenham, the prosecutor, had always been very uncomfortable with the sentence of Eric Esch. And his daughters were also very distraught about this sentence. And he has a delicate balance because his position is an elected position. So he oh, has he's to- the prosecutor mm-hmm. then. He's not he a prosecutor. He is the prosecutor. Okay. And so he had he struggled with doing what he felt was legally right and what his town would feel like he's doing. Okay, but three years after he was sentenced, Mrs. Pike and Eric's attorney come to him and say, we want to file a petition to have his sentence reduced. And so Mr. Brenham's like, yeah, this is very common. People do this all the time. I usually, you know, 99% of the time, I just let them go by on my desk and I have nothing to do, nothing more to say. I just let the court sort it out. But he decides to go and visit Eric himself. First time he's ever done it. First time that he's ever went and visited someone that he had a hand, that he prosecuted. He sent to prison. Mm -hmm. He goes and he has this visit with Eric and he is extremely impressed. Not only by Eric still taking accountability for his actions, but he was talking very maturely just about, he was telling him about his family life from his perspective. You know, what life was like before his parents' divorce, after, how he could recognize early on that his mother wasn't fit to be a mother, so he took care of his little brother, um, how he still recognizes that she's not fit. I'll give you a quick story. He ran into a guy in prison who knows his parents. He had heard this dude, his name's Bobby, he had overheard um, someone call him by Esh. And so he's like, that's a weird last name, you know? So, so he's saying, Hey, are your parents so-and-so? And And Eric's like, yeah. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I hung out with your parents. I know your parents. When his mom and his little brother come to visit, he, Eric mentions this to his mother. Well, she immediately, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar, but in the, in visiting in a low security prison, they're just sitting at tables in a big room. I am familiar. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you are. But they're, they're sitting in a table, you know, with other prisoners. This Bobby happened to be spotted by Eric's mom and she runs up and hugs him. And she spends the whole visit when she's supposed to be visiting her son, visiting with fucking Bobby instead. So this is where, and Eric is telling the prosecutor, John, this and saying, you know, she wasn't fit to be a mom, and this is this is where I was done with her. She's I, not fit to be a mom to the other siblings I have either. Yes, exactly. And also, he's pointing out the poor choices in men that she continues to make, how some of them have went to prison for beating her, but she continues to struggle with addiction, and she continues to make those choices. And so he's just... He's very mature, but at the same token, he's not letting any of that ruin him. He still plans to attend college while in prison and still keep his life on track, even though he has to serve this 20-year sentence. And he said, I love my mother. She gave birth to me, but she is a disappointment in her constant poor decision-making. She's not fit to be a mom. 
after this meeting with Brennan, and they had a lot of words, it was a long meeting. He is very impressed, but he wants to talk to Judge McIntosh, who he knew Judge McIntosh respected his opinions. He wanted to talk to the judge before the petition is filed. So he does. And then in January 1992, Eric was told to pack because he's going to the Huntington County Jail. So Eric's like, okay, great. They're going to, my petition hearing, we're going to hear what the judge has to say about my petition hearing. And so they go, they have this hearing. It's a lot of legal jargon. Um, they're, they're speaking in tongues basically. To Are you Eric. talking about my profession? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> you assholes. You're too smart for your own good. None of us know what you're saying. We're supposed to be le- minimizing legal ease from things like that over the past 10 years or so. So hopefully good. you're finding it more readable. Good. Because at this point in time in 1992, it was not readable. Eric has no idea what's going on. It's, okay. And his lawyer says, can you wait one more day? And Eric's like, um, well, yeah, I can wait for the decision. I mean, I've waited three years. I can wait for what's the a, decision. What's a day? Mm-hmm. So the next morning, the jailer wakes him up, tells him to roll up his cot and pack his shit because he's being released. No shit. The waiting one more day was that he had to spend one more night in jail. That was like part of the agreement? Yes. In that he he didn't realize because of the legal ease, the judge was granting his release. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So when his lawyer had said, can you wait one more day? He, he thought it was for the decision. The decision. Yep. He didn't know it was for the release. Shame on your appellate attorney for not explaining yeah. this to you better, sweetie. For sure. Like it didn't. And I don't, he was probably like, boy, for a kid who's getting out tomorrow, he's not acting that excited. Sometimes we get so smart that we don't know how to talk to normal humans. Right. right. Not me though. <laughs> That's why I'm in my current position. Cause I am a normal human. You can talk <laughs> in normal jargon. I I've sp- heard it. I speak of the language. Mrs. Pike was waiting for him at the jail. Oh, that's awesome. Did he stay in touch with the son, too, that he was yes. friends with? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the whole fam damn The whole family. He Not becomes, just Ma. He come, becomes a part of the family. He moves in with them. He worked at a sand and gravel pit for the family that summer. before Their business? Mm-hmm. Before enrolling in Ball State University because he wanted to go to college. You know Ball State. It's mm-hmm. not far. I have friends as kids that go there. That's right. He even called up an old Huntington classmate classmate named Blaine. He was terrified that Blaine's family would have a problem with him asking this, but he needed a roommate, and he knew Blaine went to Ball State University. But he was terrified that they were going to say, we don't want you to room with him. Well, to his amazement, Blaine's mom answered the phone. And he, Blaine wasn't home, so she had to take a message. So he had to tell her who he was. And she was like, Eric, I'm so happy to hear from you. I heard that you're going to Ball State University. Oh, my heart. I know. And I heard you needed a roommate. Is that why you're calling Blaine? We would love for you to room with Blaine. And so he does. And he realizes in that moment that maybe not everybody in Huntington hates him. Including the victim's family, yes. you guys, and yeah. and because I we we don't want anyone to accuse of, accuse us of not being victim victim centric. God, that was terrible. It's <laughs> like I just learned to speak today. <laughs> it happens. Um, the victim's daughters were still visiting they him. They literally said, "We forgive you." Yes. Yep. How long did he actually spend then? Um. 32 months in prison, something like that. Okay, total. so. He's about, tw- he's 20 years he's like, old or he's so. He's 20. 
Yep. Okay. When he gets out, he is 20 years old. He does graduate from Ball State University. Great. At the time that the book was written, now I have since looked him up because the book was written in 2001, 2000, I think published in 2002. Um, at that time that it was written, he was single. He had been dating around, but hadn't found the one he yet. He lost his high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Yes, she has already married. And um, at one point, I guess she did get a divorce and they tried to, people tried to hook them back up together and it just wasn't working. He struggled to find, even though he had a college degree, he struggled to find employment. He's a felon. Exactly. And he, even when he did get a good job and was doing well, um, along someone would come and recognize him and then his employer would find out and suddenly they wouldn't be happy with his performance and he would be fired. I know this of a lot of, uh, of course, convicted felons. Can you tell me any other good news? Like, is he married? Does he have kids? I don't know that. Nope, I'm not sure. I don't blame him and for I, a life of privacy I was just going to say, either. I think he very much tries to stay private. I hope that the victim's family is still like, okay. Yeah. Like they're feeling okay with this, yep. with him. With Yeah, yes. I do believe that they were a part of the recommendation, the, the petition, mm-hmm, the I petition so. recommendation. They, to reduce. they had to have at least been given notice. Yes, they were. Pursuant yeah. to the Crime Victims Rights Act. And I know that they were because we're going to get to Jared Walls oh. and how they are not okay with that. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. So they are okay with Eric and his reduced, reduced sentencing there. Nine years after his sentencing, John Brenham visited visited Jared Wall, who had also wanted to submit a petition for a sentence modification. But he did wait nine years to visit him. He did. He waited nine years. John actually took his paralegal, whose opinion he trusted, and uh, it was at this meeting that he finally learns of the sexual abuse and the internal struggle with his own sexuality. So nine years after the sentencing, he learns that Jared is gay and what the, the molestation that he had endured. Okay. So they go to kind of assess, like, has he received enough rehabilitation that we should recommend a modification from 60 years, right? Have they even started sexual abuse counseling with him at this point? Um, they had, Yes, he had been seeing a therapist, yes. Okay. The therapist's um, report at this hearing wasn't favorable for him to be released yet. Nope. I take a lot of stock in that. Yep. He hadn't made um, enough progress. Also, though, just the meeting that John and his uh, paralegal had had, uh, neither one of them felt. They still felt that he had cold, dark eyes, that he had no remorse. He still had not apologized to the family. That no way. The family went and said, no, we are not okay with this. We want him to remain um, at his sentence, you know, with his sentence. Anytime Um, with a parole board hearing or even the uh, preceding investigation, if they cannot show remorse, why would you even grant them a hearing? Yep. I want a therapist to show me that there's some remorse being shown before I would even consider listening. Well, he went in front of the judge in 2001. His parent, his parents testified for him again. They were now divorced, and they testified that their family's attitude towards homosexuality at the time, what it was like, and how it had affected and shaped their son, and then how it's changed now. They testified to the fact that they encouraged their son to be a jock and not an artist, and uh, again, how their views had changed since 1989, and that they should have talked, but they didn't, and his mom even got up and testified to how she had learned several years later that Jared was gay and how she accepted it, whatnot. But ultimately it didn't matter. He still needed psychological help and he was not granted his sentence modification at that point in time. And he got the 60 years. He did. He got, he was still with the 60 years. Are Um, you going to tell me he's still incarcerated right now? He is not. 
Okay. I'm just getting to it. He was eventually released after serving 26 years. He was released in 2015, March 2015. Okay. So when he was 17 years of age, he basically served, he served 26 years after that. He did. Mm-hmm. He currently works for the Education Trust, which I looked up their website. There's a lovely photo of him on this website. And I'm going to give you a quote from their website that's right next to his photo. It says, during his 26 years of incarceration, Jared earned several degrees and had the privilege to administrate the on-site college program for over 12 years. Being a student and a college program clerk helped him gain an insider's perspective on the implementation and maintenance of post-secondary education programs in prison, as well as barriers to equality. Since his release in 2015, he earned a master's in psychology and an applied PhD programs for th- and had applied to PhD programs for three years, but was repeatedly denied due to his criminal background. Now he is a PhD student at Tulane University in the interdisciplinary city culture community department with a concentration in sociology, where he is studying post-incarceration syndrome nosology, which is the history of psychiatric diagnoses, and community-engaged scholarship. To implement quality, equitable college-prison programs, Jared emphasizes the need to including the voices of both formerly and currently incarcerated individuals. So he is working for a program that is basically trying to help prison structures and education in prison. So Tulane's down in NOLA, is that where he is right now? Uh, well, this was 2015, so he's probably graduated. Gotcha. So he's finished with his PhD yep. program. Yep. And currently working for the Education <laughs> Trust. As hard as it may be to swallow, I actually don't think that that is an inappropriate sentence for him to have served. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of um, modifications in terms of what we do with juveniles. Right. When so they're sentenced. Yes. Are you going to tell me what happened to Johnny V? I will. I will help. I will tell you. I, I, I got to know. I was going to tell you one little, one more little interesting fact about um, Jared Wall and okay. his connection with Huntington. There was a classmate of his who actually ran for the Indiana uh, Supreme Court. His name was Christopher Goff. He was asked in an application to describe a few cases that were significant to him and like why he went the trajectory that he did. Why did he become a lawyer? And why did he? Um, why does he want to serve? On the Supreme Court. Okay. And this was his perspective. This is a quote from the state of Indiana, Indiana versus Jared M. Wall, um, which is the case that he uh, referenced in his, during his campaign. Yeah, it's his criminal case citation. Mm -hmm. Jared's. Um, Yes. So he said, and this is Christopher Goff's words. Quote, when I was 16 years old, one of my high school classmates committed a murder. The circumstances of the case were tragic on many levels. Jared Wall had been the president of his class, a star athlete and an honor student. He had also been abused by an old acquaintance, a fact that he was unable to share with anyone in a position to help him. Eventually, Jared acted out by murdering his victim, whom he did not know, but he believed to be an abuser. Jared pled guilty to murder and was sentenced to serve 60 years in prison. The year was 1989, and both Jared and I were seniors in high school. I had a difficult time wrapping my head around Jared's fate. He had been a better kid than me. In my teenage mind, the situation was unjust. I could not accept that someone with so much promise should be effectively thrown away. Jared's crime and his punishment were my motivation for becoming a lawyer. The situation concerned my parents enough that they moved from Huntington County to Wabash County. 
Seven years later, I was hired by the law firm that had defended Jared. I was engaged to pursue a sentence modification. The modification hearing took place in 2001. He was the attorney. Yes, he was. And lasted an entire day. We presented a compelling case for modification. Our evidence included psychological opinions regarding the circumstances, the circumstances, Jesus, which led to the offense and how unlikely it was that Jared would ever reoffend. Evidence relating to Jared's good conduct while incarcerated and evidence that he had graduated from college with high honors while incarcerated. At the conclusion of the hearing, there were strong indications that Jared's request for a sentence modification would be granted. However, the statute governing sentence modification required that both the sentencing court and the prosecutor agree to the modification. In Jared's case, the victim's family was adamantly opposed to modification and their wishes were respected. This case gained a high level of notoriety and was the subject of a true crime novel titled Fear No Evil by Thomas Jones. This case was significant to me because it changed the course of my life. Jared's experiences and my familiarity with them made me view litigants differently. If I never knew Jared, I would never have established problem-solving courts in Wabash County, and many lives would be worse as a result. All people are endowed with inherent dignity and worth. If our legal, legal system is to be respected, then we must treat all people accordingly. This is not to suggest that people should not be held responsible for their actions. It simply means that those who are empowered to administer justice must be deliberate, thoughtful, and sometimes creative in doing so. Jared taught me that good people can do evil things. My work with problem-solving courts has largely been an effort to help people never get to such a desperate point in life. Jared satisfied his sentence on March 9, 2015. He sent me a card to mark the occasion. I attached a copy because I found it to be so moving. His artwork, more than my words, illustrate both the loss which he suffered as a result of his crime and the power of hope. We all need hope. That's amazing. I can know. I can I guess without looking up that this is now actually um, Justice Scoff? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> like, yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. He, he did a good job with that. Now you want me to tell you about Johnny V? I, I do. I, I need so, to hear about my, my favorite here. Quotes, Johnny V's air quotes. father spent a lot of money on trying to have his son's sentence re- reduced, like almost immediately after it was Yeah, given. you appeal right. for uh, yeah mm-hmm. violation of sentencing guidelines and all kinds of shit right away. And Branham did visit him too. I mean, he had at this point, when, when John Branham visited Johnny V, he had already visited Eric and Eric was already released. And he would later, nine years later, visit Jared. But he did not... The prosecutor did not give a recommendation for sentence modification for Johnny V until six years after he was sentenced because he knew Johnny's involvement uh, in um, prison early on. Your behavior in in prison affects how people react. Yep. He was released in 1996. So. He served six years. That's not what I wanted to hear. I know this is like the only part of the case that I find very like disturbing but at the same token there's so many people out there that are like how long did Jared spend again 26 years but he did the actual murder. he did mm-hmm. he did he did do Johnny the V murdering, was supposed but... to be the Eric and I wonder how different it would have turned out if Johnny V had been there I think he would have taken a part in the murdering I really he took a part in planning it mm-hmm and Eric wouldn't have been in jail for even the three years that he was Correct. if he wouldn't have been in the car one day and said, I'll come over I'll come. and help you babysit. Yep. Hey, Johnny, I'll come help you babysit your sisters. Yep. Look at the choices, kids. 
how something simple like that can change mm-hmm. your whole life. Oh, I'm going to end on a powerful note. You just wait because okay. we're getting to the end here. Johnny V's family moved away from Huntington right after the case. So when he was released in 1996, he all but disappeared, and we have absolutely no update on him. He oh, Johnny V's gone? Nope, Johnny V does not want to we be We don't found. listen to him currently on any type of um, rap stations, do we? I don't think so. Um, but just so you know, Eric is still a part of the Pike family. And I have an interesting tidbit just that I know um, my son... My son's friends that I mentioned in who are listening, one, who are listening, indubitably, they would love to podcast. know this okay. that um, Judge McIntosh, who yeah. handled this entire case, played football at Michigan State University. Go green, yeah. I figured you'd love that too. Go green, go white. Sorry, I'm a Michigan. I know we're fan. having a shitty year this year, so mm-hmm. but so I'm rooting for Michigan, by the way. Oh, good. I'm, I love Michigan. I'm a Michigan U of M. fan. Yeah, I, I mean, root for Michigan State I was when they're playing someone supposed else. to go there for undergrad, but I chose a smaller liberal arts college instead. But I my law school's MSU and I yeah. go green. Well, go Sparty. I get that. Eric Esch visits juvenile centers just to talk to them, give them words of wisdom. And so I'm gonna end on Eric Esch's words and let it be a lesson for us all. This is a quote from him. Be sure you know the meaning of friend before you do something stupid to please somebody that you think is a friend. End quote. That's just the perfect way to end that. That's why he, what he tells the youth. So there it is. Does he still go and talk, do you think? I bet he, I would imagine, I, but I don't know. I guess I can't speak to that. I know that as of 2001, he did. So there's a couple, can I say a couple of things of before you get to the can. brain bath? Just because it's interesting and we could do a whole podcast on this. So I'm going to keep it brief, but there has been a lot of reform when it comes to juvenile convictions, especially juveniles convicted of adults specifically. Yeah. Um, so th- certain things being considered cruel and unusual punishment, including life terms without parole mm-hmm. um, and, and other type of life terms where there's just more safeguards put on these. But because I had specifically mentioned the juvenile death penalty when these kids didn't even realize that they could have been put to death. No. And they could have. So for those of you saying you can't put juveniles to death anymore, you're wrong because you, well, you're wrong. You're right now. But in 1989, you could. The death penalty for juvenile offenders was banned by the Supreme Court in 2005. Wow, that is significantly so long after this it case is. happened. So it's Roper versus Simmons. And there's a whole pre-Roper analysis that you can get into. And maybe we'll have another opportunity to bring this up. But I did want you guys to know that it was a significant possibility in these cases Mm -hmm. if different decisions weren't made and doesn't it go to show the naivety of a 17 year old mind that even through all the court hearings that they went through it never dawned on them that that could have been a possibility until john brenham visited all of them and brought it to their attention well for me no it's not surprising at all for the rest of you know the public it might be um as much as I have indicated my disdain for Johnny V throughout this, that does not mean I would be in any way, shape, or form supportive of a 17-year-old oh, right. being executed right, either, right, right. even pre-Roper. Yep. Um, and that doesn't get into my personal opinions about death penalty. It's not something I have to deal with because the state of Michigan yes, doesn't have, don't it. have it. Mm-hmm. But um, there are reasons that we mitigated these type of offenses or these type of penalties with juveniles mm-hmm. for a reason teenagers and I, and honestly i'm glad that we did i think that it's fair megan you Your brains aren't done growing they are not, our brains are not fully developed i'm not the same person that i was at 17 and you know what let this be a lesson too if you are a teenager listening to this you are going to grow and mature and be different as in adulthood 
Yeah, and if you're likely. a 17-year-old boy who's an asshole, you can totally change can that change. now also. Yes. Also, your impulses. Sometimes they yeah. tell you to do things. Sometimes it's your brain, and sometimes it's way lower. Don't listen <laughs> to don't either listen of them. Don't listen to either. Reason. Yep, reason. Exactly. Use reason and God. Or call your mom and run it by her. Yes. Your mommy will always tell you. Yes. She might cringe later and tell her friends over wine. This is awful. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to tell you about this. Yeah. Right. But. Exactly. I agree. So there we go. Let me bathe you, though. Please, or I'm going to dump the bottle on me. We have to thank um, our Patreon, Tasha, again for this. She sends us gems. I love Tasha. So Tasha sent us bilingual people share stories of people they've eavesdropped on. I've always wondered about this. When you hear someone speaking in a different language. They're talking about you. You know that they are, or you know that they're talking about something highly personal that you would just love to know and have the, you know, the hot gas. But- this this is really, really funny. This one person said, I overheard a bunch of French tourists in Nepal discussing a graphic detail. In graphic detail, excuse me, the loose bowel syndromes that they were having after a few days. <laughs> they literally were yelling, I can't tell what is co- what it is that's coming out of me. <laughs> after a while, they turned to me and my friends and asked in English where we're from. <laughs> I'm having <laughs> no idea that they listened to the whole conversation. I would have responded immediately the bathroom. So their <laughs> friends, they go, my friends answered in French. Oh, beautiful. Uh-huh. We're from the same place you are, Quebec. Their look of embarrassment was just delectable. The awkwardness was was palpable, more so than their loose bowels. I love that they took the opportunity to reply in French. Oh yeah, for just sure. Just so you know. For sure. I, we speak French. Yeah, I'm not conversational in some languages, but there are certain ones that I actually can understand uh, and have more than once been like, oh really? I know. <laughs> yeah. If I could respond back to you appropriately in your language, I would. I would. This one is funny too. One of my Israeli women friends told me that when she was pregnant riding a subway in New York, she asked in English to squeeze in on a bench seat next to two women. One of the two women said to the other in Hebrew, let the cow sit down. After she sat down, my friend then asked in Hebrew, I'm sorry, my friend then said in Hebrew, the cow says thanks. <laughs> Good for you, girl. How fucking rude. I would have just mooed. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> then they really know that you heard them. That's right. Oh, so this next one says, I'm Pakistani, but I look white Arab. I have very pale skin, light colored eyes, etc. Most other brown people, those who speak uh, Hindu, whatnot, assume that I don't understand. I was in a mobile shop looking for a charger. I heard one of the brown guys working say, say in Punjabi. Punjabi. Okay. Indian. Yeah. Just charge her. Oh, just charge her 10 euros extra. She won't know. I told him quite calmly in Punjabi that I'd like it for 10 euros off. Thank you. Oh, good for her. Good for you, sister. That is horrible. Gonna ch- uh. Listen, it's no different than us being taken advantage of at the car dealership when they're working on our car. Oh, they think because we're women, they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. we got to change your blinker fluid. Right. For sure. You're right. This next one says, about 10 years ago, I was on a night train going from Rome to Nepal's. I want to do Naples. whatever that is. Na- Nepal. Not Nep- Rome to Naples no, makes Rome more sense. Rome to Naples. Rome Sorry. to Nepal's a hell of a well, trip. I scrolled too fast <laughs> and my eyes were not processing. 
These Night two train, Charnel. I know. These two criminals were discussing robbing me while I was sitting in the <gasps> same cabin with them. I told them that I spoke Italian and that if they wanted to rob me, I, was, I wasn't going to make it easy for them. They actually apologized, told me that they thought I was German, and moved on down the car. Cool, to rob somebody else. Like, oh, we're sorry that you can speak the same Fantastic. language that we are. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you speak German, She's listen to us. these guys. What a, what? That's funny. You know, anybody who's talking that kind of smack probably, hopefully, won't actually follow through. No, I think that they're too stupid. But that's where I'm going to leave you. I oh, think I'm going to save some you. other ones for another time. Because no. we're at like... An hour and 45 oh, yeah. minute episode Yeah, here, we are. So. It's a long second. Uh, uh, but I appreciate some the brain. Of my, yeah. my two-parters could be three-parters, and we always make them two-part. I know, I know. It, it, this one probably could have. But in terms of factual information, you gave it all. Um, there was just a lot of reaction. I hope your listeners like it. What a hell of a... I'm going to be honest with you right now. Our listeners. This is our your podcast, listeners, you know. Sorry. <laughs> it is. This is probably my favorite case that I've heard you present right now just because, and, and there have been fantastic cases, but to me, I, I really enjoyed this. I knew you And would. everything that went with it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Allie, for this suggestion. And I gobbled up the resources that she sent me immediately. Now you understand why I couldn't put the book down. I do. And why, I mean, and I just think for us, it just hits home so closely because we have two, se- we have seniors right now, both of us in we high do. school. Boys. With boys. My with, only boy. Yes. With lovely friends, you know. Lovely kids, lovely yes. friends. And so just the fact that this can can get out of control because you just never really know what's going on in someone's life is terrifying and a lesson for us all. So thank you all so much for hanging out with us for the last, God, several hours. You've got three and a half Almost or so three, hours. At least this. three, yeah. Yeah, so thanks so much. Um, feel free to follow us on social media. Send case suggestions to our, actually, if you get on our website, crimecuriouspodcast.com, you can email us right from there. That comes right to us with case, case suggestions or on our socials. Um, interact with us. We love it. We and do. if you want to join our Patreon so that you get early access to episodes, you get your two-parter episodes right away in sequence to each other. You don't have to wait for them. And a ton of bonus episodes each month. Click on the link that's in the show notes, guys, or go to patreon.com slash crime curious and we're there all right until next time everyone keep it curious take care bye bye